It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tortoise. Hello. Spare a thought for Peggy Jones, whose story made its way around the world this week. She was mowing her lawn in Silsby, Texas, when a snake dropped from the sky onto her arm, wrapped around it, and then started attacking her. And then the hawk that had dropped the snake swooped down, also attacking her, in order to retrieve the snake. <laughs> if you go back to the original reporting in the Silsby Bee, I should say that you're, see, you're going to see that she's recovering from what was a bloody injury. It was clearly grim. These are vicious animals. But just to make the point that in news, detail is important, The Guardian which picked up the story, and that's where I saw it, had this particular observation. Quote, Hearing his wife's screams, her husband Wendell rode over to her on his mower. He was shocked by what he saw. <laughs> it's unclear from this reporting, I should say, if Wendell got off his mower. But the only reason I mention that is we should count ourselves very lucky that we are recording this in the safety of the tortoise newsroom here in London. I'm joined by Giles Wittell and Jess Winch, fellow journalist at Tortoise. Hello. Welcome. Hello. I'm James Harding. It's the week ending Friday the 11th of August, and we're particularly pleased that we're joined by Zelda Perkins. Zelda, I think it's fair to say, helped change the world when she broke her non-disclosure agreement to enable the New York Times to break the story of Harvey Weinstein and set in train the Me Too movement. Zelda, great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome to the Tortoise News Meeting. The homeware chain Wilco has collapsed into administration, putting around 12,000 jobs at risk. A piece of paradise lost. Charred remains on Maui after terrifying flames burned through the iconic Hawaiian island. Fires were starting to spread in different areas, so you really couldn't plan a particular area to be safe. There has been a major data and security breach involving officers at the police service of Northern Ireland. Candidate in Ecuador's upcoming presidential election has been assassinated. Fernando Villavicencio was attacked after a campaign event in the capital, Quito. So, Zelda, Charles, Jess, you're each going to pitch the story that you think has mattered most this week. And then at the end, we're going to try and figure out what those stories mean, possibly even where they go. And then, given I'm in the editor's chair, I'll try and make a call on which one should lead the news. Let's go with uh, long story short. Charles, why don't you go first? What's yours in a single sentence? Forgetting about Churchill. Forgetting about Churchill. Zelda? Money and your life. (laughs) Perfect choice. Just yes. give me a reason. Just give me a reason. By the way, play these things getting song. more and more. Play on a what? Pink song. 
Can I just say, is these things getting more Because I'm guessing you might, not, you might not be pink fans. <laughs> Everyone, uh, uh, people who listen to the Tortoise News meeting are all pink fans. <laughs> it's a requirement. <laughs> Let's get going properly. So, um, Charles, why don't you go first? Right. At least eight Tory cabinet ministers have said initially to The Telegraph, but this morning it's all over everywhere, that they think the Conservatives should include a pledge to withdraw from the European Convention on Human Rights uh, in the manifesto for the next election if the ECHR prevents the Tories' policy of deporting by special charter flights uh, failed asylum seekers to Rwanda. And is that genuinely the reason why they can't push this policy through? Or are there many more reasons? No, it is genuinely the reason. Uh, last June, June 22, the plane was on the tarmac. Um, the first batch of asylum seekers were packed and ready to go. And an individual application to the court brought uh, what we would call an injunction. Um, it was a Rule 39 application, which you can file online to the um, European Court of Human Rights, which implements the European Convention on Human Rights. And uh, it uh, obtained, uh, let, let me call it an interim injunction to prevent this one passenger getting on the plane. The, the plane was grounded as a result. The first flight didn't go. The appeals court um, upheld the ECHR's verdict. The whole case is trundling towards the UK Supreme Court, which the government is confident will uphold its position and allow flights to Rwanda. But um, at that point, individuals are still entitled to appeal the UK Supreme Court to the European Court of Human Rights, and the government isn't. You can only apply to the ECHR as an individual. And Charles, why should we run this story alone, let alone have it lead the news, in that it feels like it's a piece of political positioning. It that's feels... exactly what it is. And that's why we should run it, because we're heading for an election here. And this is what the Tories think will bind the red wall and keep them in power. Huge news. So it's them trying to play a Brexit card, an immigration card, a an island that has control over its future card. Mm -hmm. But nothing's happening. It's, it's a discussion within the Conservative cabinet about whether or not certain issues should or shouldn't be put in a manifesto, which then may or may not, more likely not, ever get to Parliament. It's just dog whistle politics. Surely this is exactly the kind of thing you shouldn't have that leads the news. No, I, I disagree. Um, it's, it's not quite true that nothing's happening. So declining numbers compared with last year of asylum seekers, migrants, are, are continuing to cross the channel um, in small boats. The party in power remains completely neuralgic about it or obsessed with it as a wedge issue. Uh, it's not. It's it's a result of endless focus grouping that they've that certain. Um, constituencies within the party want it to be front and centre in, in the manifesto. If that's not mainstream politics, I don't know what is. This is. We're not talking about the Lib Dems here. We're talking about the party that's run this country for the last 15 years. Zelda, what do you think? I just wanted to ask a question. Can can we come out of the ECHR without a public vote? I don't know. Because I've... surely the whole point of the ECHR is it's protecting the people from the state. So how can the state remove that from the people if the people don't get to vote on it? It can't just be a manifesto policy, can it? There wouldn't be a requirement for a referendum. We Referendums in this country are anyway advisory. So the only way that you would come out is... By the government making Legislation through parliament. 
Yes, I think that's how, how we joined in the first place. I th- is it worth mentioning that the, the Convention on Human Rights was the, the idea of Winston Churchill, among others? I'll just quote from their initial uh, pledge printed in May 48, Churchill, Adenauer and a young Mitterrand all had mm. their uh, signatures on it. We desire a charter of human rights guaranteeing liberty of thought, assembly and expression um, and, not incidentally, Adequate, a court with adequate sanctions for the implementation of this charter. The context, of course, was World War II, and then the Cold War, the encroaching Stalinism. And, and by the way, the charter of uh, the convention was drafted by another prominent conservative, English conservative. Sir David Maxwell Fife, who had been a prosecutor at Nuremberg. Council, is there... A different philosophical take on the ECHR, which is if the UK withdraws from it, the UK can then draft its own Bill of Rights, its own a step towards a written constitution that articulates for the 21st century what the rights and responsibilities of British citizens are. Is there an argument that maybe we should look at it again rather than just see it solely in the context of Brexit and asylum seekers. Yes, I think you can make that argument. And you could probably also make the argument that in trying to satisfy the, to reach a consensus amongst 46 um, signatory states to the convention, then perhaps a sort of body of law that the, that the court uh, implements is um, congealing from sort of groupthink as a result. And, 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 and one result you could argue is, is these uh, inflammatory cases, which are not representative of the rest of the court's work, uh, which have exercised the Conservative Party for so long, principally concerning um, uh, defences against, um, protections against deporting people whom um, anti-migration activists would like to be deported back to their own countries. What do you think, Jess? I, I'm not a fan of this story, but I can't decide why. Because on the one hand, I don't want to take it seriously because Tories flirting with leaving the ECHR has come around a few times before. I think successive Tory prime ministers have talked about this. Uh, and it hasn't happened. But then on the other hand, with this story... Uh, I want to take it seriously. And then you've got to ask questions like, how can the Conservatives claim to be a party of law and order if they're also campaigning on a pledge to leave the e- to take Britain out of the European Convention on Human Rights? And how can they say they want Britain to be a global leader if they are doing something that will put us in the same basket as Russia and Belarus? So that, yeah, so I don't like it, but I can't... OK, let's have a pile, pile on on Giles. The, the, I also kind of see the reason I don't like it is there's something really suspicious when newspapers run editorials that outline their arguments in favour, say, of withdrawing from the European Convention on Human Rights. And then lo and behold, within a short matter of time, there's a lead story on the front page of a series of cabinet ministers, anonymous, saying they believe in pulling out of the ECHR. And it's clearly a position augmented by you know, nameless briefing, that itself is about trying to move the political centre of gravity. It just feels a long, long way from people's lives, a long way from what's important. I'm not denying there's an element of manufacture to this story. Uh, But you can't deny, I submit, Your Honour, that this is what the ruling party uh, and its organs are thinking about. It may be a party in the twilight of its power, 
but they are trying to hold on to power and they are choosing the battleground. And the idea of ignoring that seems to me um, a case of professional misconduct. <laughs> Zelda, what do you think? Well, no. I mean, is it the kind of story that you would, when I you see it, it leading the news, do you think, oh, yeah, that's right, that's where it should be? I find it an incredibly sinister and frightening story. Um, and, I mean, there's been a lot of chat about it, as you say, and as, as, as you just said, you know, the things that we thought wouldn't happen all seem to happen. So... I mean, this is something that would have a fundamental effect on all of our human rights. And actually, you know, presumably um, the ECHR is what looks after freedom of speech and freedom of journalists. And actually, I did note um, gender equality in journalism. <laughs> so all of these things to me, because ultimately the, the work that I do is about human rights, a human right to speak up. So anybody messing with our fundamental human rights, which I feel are being constricted all the time by the Conservative government, um, to me is something we should be shouting about. And that is a reason, another reason, you know, if that goes is in their manifesto, then, you know, it's another reason not to vote Conservative. Let's get to your story then, your money and your life. Your money and your life. Well, the reason that I chose that was because we're seeing increasingly stories about toxic work culture and people leaving companies and companies imploding and settlement agreements. So there was a story in The Guardian this week about ITV and the fact that since the report that was done, the, the Culture Select Committee, where they looked at the drama around Philip Schofield leaving, that huge number of individuals have come forward raising more issues about the toxic workplace of, of uh, bullying, discrimination and harassment at ITV. Now, nobody's really very interested in that. They were interested in Philip Schofield having a, an affair with a young man, but they're not really interested in the fact that you've got an enormous group of employees suffering mental health issues and losing their jobs because they are speaking up. This is partly to do with my work. And this is one of the reasons why I think we're actually in a very dangerous time now where people are understanding that NDA is a dirty word. So employers, HR departments, lawyers understand now that NDA is bad and it's a flag and it is signposting problems. And I've been saying this uh, when I'm speaking in, at various things that I'm really concerned where we are now because of this, because what lawyers and HR and employers are doing now is they don't say to people, here's your NDA that you're going to get. It is just called a settlement agreement. And in that settlement agreement, there is a confidentiality clause. ITV employees have gone to this common select committee and described a toxic work culture that goes beyond the Philip Schofield case. Then Specifically secondly, this morning, but that goes beyond within the whole within the whole institution. Specifically this morning, the TV show. The, then there's a second issue, which if I understand correctly, is because of the association between non-disclosure agreements, Harvey Weinstein, Me Too, etc., companies are doing settlements now that are not NDAs but do require confidentiality. Is that they right? Are These NDAs. are the three things. They're, they are well, NDAs under another name. It's basically all the same thing. They're just different layers of the onion of the same story. And I think that's actually what I'm trying to say is this looks like a not very interesting story. Yes. It's about people complaining about toxic workplace. In, we're a, in seeing a that TV in, show. In a, in, a, in a TV channel. But we're seeing that in every sector. Every week there is a story. Whether it, but can I just, yes. just ask about that? Because I don't see that. One of the reasons why <laughs> no, that's I'm, my bubble. No, but I, but honestly, Zelda, I don't see 
Um, the professional services world rocked by uh, allegations of toxic work cultures. I don't see that in finance. I don't see that in the military. I don't see that in the same way. I see the media focusing on these things happening in the media. And the reason why the this morning Philip Schofield story can leave me a bit cold is I think that there's an exaggerated focus by us as journalists on people that we know. And I don't feel those stories are coming to us. So my reluctance okay. to, to go after this particular story is another Philip Schofield story. Okay, so th that's a really easy argument. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not hearing what I'm saying. So what's interesting too is, is that I see this very, very differently because I am not in the media. And I can tell you that I, I hold a huge amount of, of information on, on lots of different sectors where NDAs are being used. And there is not one sector that is clear. The most interesting thing is, is that the stories that I find hardest to help people with or get placed within media are stories that are covering journalism or journalists really? or newsrooms. Really? Other journalists don't want to touch those stories. And that is where I find... So that's interesting that you don't see it. To me, I, I mean, what was Odie, if that's not Toxic Workplace? What was Tesco? What is McDonald's? What is... All of these come to the same thing. So you mentioned Odie. Crispin Odie, a... London financier funded the Conservative Party and Brexit was the subject of an investigation into allegations of sexual harassment and assault. But what was extraordinary about it, after several women, in our in the original story five, when we worked with the FT on a further story, 13 women came forward. F for ages, no one else picked that story up. But my point is, it's hard to believe that the only Mayfair hedge fund, the only financial firm in I the agree. UK. Jess, what do you think? I think this is a great story. I think this is the... This, <laughs> I think moved. This, yeah, no, but as you say, I think this is the beginning of of something much, or the partway through the journey of something much bigger, I think, similar to what you've seen or you've managed to get done with universities signing up to not use NDAs when it's not about protecting IP. I think it's... I don't, maybe the next stage is looking at a proper... Not Dr. Philip Schofield, but where does this go in media? What's the next industry that is properly going to have a, I mean, it's an accounting? It's the mo to me, it's the most sinister when it's happening in newsrooms. You know, uh, we rely on journalists to have. But the story then that you're describing is the discovery is is the fact that a number of ITV employees have anonymously informed the commons of a toxic work culture because That's they remain... safe way they can do it. Because they remain bound by some form of confidentiality agreement or non-disclosure agreement. Which is can why I ask a question on that yes. one? So when they... you saying whenever you see settlement in a news story, that means NDA. It doesn't so, always mean... It's a signal. It, basically, it's a signal. But you're saying so the people who have now. gone to this M, uh, the committee mm. have... Are breaking their NDA by talking to the by this committee who aren't authorized who they aren't authorized to speak to. They, you can speak to a parliamentary. You you, you, you have can. parliamentary privilege if you speak to a committee. Yes. Uh, okay. So sorry, sorry, Zelda, I'm being slow. Yes. So what you're saying is, what we've actually seen this week, or what Caroline Dynage, the MP's statement to ITV, shows us, is that in the settlements that ITV has made with its former employees it either did or continues to use some form of confidentiality agreement or NDA. I'm making that presumption. I don't have proof of that. So how do you do that as a story? Because that's... That, well, but that's not... The, so <laughs> this is why it's a bit confusing. That isn't just the story. The story is a broader story. It's about... So the, the top part of the story is, is this is 
a huge problem nationally, internationally, globally, that there is this very toxic environment at work where people can act with impunity, whether it's about gender discrimination, race discrimination, pay disparity, um, whatever you want to choose, whether it's about a, a star of a show having an affair with, a, with, with somebody inappropriate. All of those things are being encouraged and allowed to flourish by one specific tool. And that is confidentiality. And confidentiality is unbelievably dangerous when it is hiding harm and any and anything iniquitous. But just, just explain, because it feels as though one of the things that you have done mm. is, if you like, take apart the world of NDAs sector by sector. So just mentioned universities, right? Universities have agreed haven't they, that they will no longer use NDAs. Well, it's now been legislated against, yeah. And the legislated media for. is, in theory, as I understand it, signing up to a serious agreement. The BBC has said it won't use NDAs. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. So just talk us through, if you like, the rest of the waterfront. I mean, I've sidetracked because my specific story, like, covers a, a, a huge thing. It isn't just about NDAs. And I think the one bit, just to bring it back to the money and your life, it's about how harmful these settlement agreements are. And being given money doesn't give you your life back. You get your life taken away as well. But I also think it's so interesting, Zelda, because it's that feeling that I think we all get at different times where you see a story or you hear a story and you think, no, 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 that's nearly the story. Yes. The real story is the thing right next to it yes. that you haven't Addressed. Yes. Zelda, thanks very much for that story. Let's take a moment and then we're going to hear from Jess what you think should lead the news. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Jess, what's yours? So this is a brilliant story about abortion in America. It's August, it's quiet, you've been on your holiday, James, but everyone else is either away or wishing they were away, uh, unless you work for Tortoise, in which case you want to do the news meeting. <laughs> and um, Ohio in the US has chosen this week to hold a vote on what seems to be a very dry topic of constitutional electional law. But it had a really amazing turnout. It had about 3 million people turned out to vote, which is nearly double the turnout in the May 2022 primaries. And it's sort of the highest turnout Ohio seen in a similar primary election since 2016. And that is because this is seen as a proxy battle on abortion. What was officially on the ballot is whether or not 
the people of Ohio wanted to make it harder to change the state constitution. And that involved things like, for example, raising the threshold to pass an amendment to 60% from 50%. But the reason this vote happened this week is because in November, Ohio is going to the polls to decide whether or not to introduce a right to protect abortion onto the state's constitution. And Republican officials admitted that the reason they were holding this vote this week was to try and make it harder for abortion right campaigners to introduce this amendment into the state um, constitution, which is quite um, a stark moment in Ohio because um, judges there are currently considering whether or not to introduce a six-week ban. So Ohio is very much in between uh, two, two extremes when it comes to abortion rights. And so you had a huge number of people turning out. And uh, essentially what happened is that the side, you could say, arguing for abortion rights won by 14 points. And this is in a state that Trump won in 2020 and in 2016 by eight points. So this is not a left-leaning state. You know, it's a It's been solidly Republican for the past two elections. And I think this is a great story because it tells you that, A, one year on from Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court, Americans really still care about abortion. It is not fading away as a kind of electoral issue. Uh, There was a recent CNN poll which found that only 16% of Americans don't consider it a major issue. And that's the lowest in a poll that's been going since 1996. Uh, A New York Times poll also found that I think 61% of Americans still care about abortion. That is across every state, every gender, every age group, every income level and across men and women. Um, So it's a motivating issue for everybody. It's clearly going to have a huge impact on uh, a number of key races going into 2024 in terms of turnout, particularly Democrat turnout. Uh, The New York Times had a great... um, quote from an organization called Red Wine and Blue which <laughs> which yeah which kind of canvasses suburban women for Ohio Democrats and they said that a lot of women who wouldn't normally get that engaged in a summer election about election law really got involved in this because it's abortion it's a very much snaps you to attention W I N E or W H I N E W I N E okay the right one <laughs> good okay um, and so that's going to, and it's going to cause, I think, both the Democrats and Republicans to really take abortion seriously when they are shaping the. Tr- so this is sort of an entry into 2024, and what some of the big election, what some of the big questions are going to be, uh, and how both parties are going to try and take an issue that people still care a lot about and turn it into election winning strategies. Zelda, what do you think? Well, I think it's quite interesting because I think you know both Giles and your story slightly echo each other from different sides of the ocean because um, we're seeing the state essentially trying to change constitution in this terms, the E-C-H-R, (laughs) in our terms, just to get one issue dealt with. And I think that's really, I think that's equally sinister. But I think yours is a, you know, yours is kind of a good news story (laughs) in terms of, you know, the turnout. Charles, what do you think? Yeah, it's a good news story if you're for abortion rights. I, um, uh, which I happen to be, but uh, there are a lot of people in in the states. Let's remember who feel diametrically opposed to that and will be mobilising uh, for 2024 uh, precisely because not just of this vote, but the um, midterms, which it echoes. That was kind of the first big test, wasn't it? And as as you say, uh, this shows that um, it has legs. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's completely fascinating. If you look at the map of of turnout county by county in Ohio, the, your first impression is, OK, this is 
uh, predictable and very, very urban. The big circles for votes against the measure are in the cities, Columbus, Cincinnati, Akron, etc. But uh, I think I'm right in saying that if you look at opposition to the measure by party, there are, there are a lot of um, centrist Republicans who sided with Democrats on this. So this, yes, is, a, this, is, this is a kind of a non-polarizing um, mm. signal yeah. in a way. It, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the vote in November about adding abortion rights will necessarily pass because this could be, for some Republicans at least, more about just don't mess with the state constitution. So I don't, I don't think November should be seen as a given. But it is interesting that, as Giles said, um, this was, yes, this drove a lot of Democrat and swing voter turnout, but there were a lot of moderate and Republican counties that also seemed to back this, back this measure. And how do you tell it, Jess, in the sense that it's a constitutional amendment which itself was subject to an out-of-election uh, cycle vote that failed and therefore makes a fundamental change in the law in Ohio less likely, i.e. You have a it's talent in the for making it sound boring. <laughs> we can do better than that. I hope. I thought I did. Yes, but. you did. You did. No, but, the, but the person goes, hang on a second, I've just listened to that story or read that story or watched that story and goes... The story's turnout. That's, I'm trying to, this is a story about, this shows that people care. This is turnout. This is Ohio. This is yeah. August. And it tells you where people are sort of landing ahead from um, a next huge election cycle. Ohio vote a big win for abortion rights. There we go. All right. Before we make a call on what should lead the news today in this week's meeting, a couple of things. We've had a whole bunch of people writing in or sending in voicemails to comment on the news judgments that we've made in previous meetings. And there's... This that I thought was really interesting from Gavin in Hampshire, who makes the polite but pointed observation that there's more to Elon Musk than Twitter, or now known as X. And the point that he makes, Starlink, was supposed to be providing battlefield communications infrastructure in Ukraine, but now isn't. Take a listen to what Gavin says. This power to have a major influence on political and military events parallels and highlights Musk's power through Twitter. Unlike his approach to his power through Twitter, Musk seems to be uneasy about the battlefield and other political impact of his power through Starlink. What do you think, Charles? I agree. I mean, he, he's shown himself to be um, really surprisingly ignorant about what's going on in Ukraine, or willfully ignorant, not clear to me. And so I share Gavin's concern. In a similar vein, there's a, a Jonathan Jacobs from Glasgow wrote to us, and he, at the beginning of the week, one of the stories we talked about was, was the triathletes who had gone for a swim uh, off the coast of Sunderland, 57 of whom came out of the water and having were seriously sick, uh, having been poisoned in effect by E. coli. And Basher made the point about pollution in the UK waters, and we talked about uh, water company ownership. Jonathan Jacobs' point, uh, he wrote in to say, while I agree this is an important subject, I wondered if you might have missed an opportunity for comparison between the publicly owned Scottish water and other water providers, i.e. privately owned ones. I'd be interested in hearing your views on if there is an incentive for news organisations in general to highlight the t same topic repeatedly in this way. It's a particularly painful point. Not just that, but the suspicion that news organisations somehow are incentivised to keep on bashing on about the same stories. Right, why don't we look more broadly at the three stories we've got before us. Zelda, what would you choose to lead the news? Oh, by the way, there's a rule here. 
You can't choose your own story. (laughs) (laughs) For a campaigner, that's almost impossible. I mean, I think both of those stories kind of, as I said, it kind of hit me in the same place. But for me, obviously, I have to go with ECHR. I I find it deeply sinister. Um, We'd have to, you know, repeal the Human Rights Act. It would be going, violating the Good Friday Agreement. It is completely changed. I I mean, the whole talk of, of what would happen if we changed our human rights protections in this country fills me with fear. And it's the sort of thing, a bit like Brexit, that will happen because the public doesn't have knowledge. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know what the ECHR really does for us. And I think these things, these are the things that in the news, it's actually your responsibility to educate the public so that we know what we're voting for. Charles? i go with the Ohio story not because of any position that I might hold on abortion rights, but just because I think it's a really interesting empirical straw in the wind for a very, very consequential election. Jess? I think I would go with NDAs. And I was, yeah, I was, I was going between the two because the ITV story might not be the deal breaker in and of itself, but I think it could, if we pick that up as a tortoise newsroom, it could take us to a very interesting place. All right, well, I have a go. It's quite odd in that when we started talking right at the beginning, I thought exactly the opposite of where I ended up. <laughs> so the way I would run things, for what it's worth, is I would lead on Ohio, I'd run ITV second and ECHR third. And the reason for that is ECHR makes me deeply uncomfortable. I feel like I'm getting gained by politicians who want to play the news agenda for their own political purposes. And I think that it's a deeply, deeply troubling story, as and when it gets to a place that it's being discussed in Parliament. At this stage, it's being played on the people, and I don't really want to be much part of it. The ITV story, as you say, Zelda, is... a whole run of different stories, and it's actually a one of those sort of state-of-the-nation observations that's incredibly difficult because what you're really commenting on is something that's endemic, not exceptional, and the news is very bad at dealing with that. But I think there's a way that you recast culture at ITV exposed by Parliament because it can puncture the culture of confidentiality in the workplace. And the fact that you can do both of those things together, i.e. shine a light on one place but shine a light on many others, means I think it really is a story. But the reason why I really, really like Ohio is, firstly, it breaks one of my cardinal rules in news, which is, you know that description of stories, you know the thing you've never heard of, it's not happening. This is an absolutely perfect example of that story, but it should lead the news because I think as Giles says, it's one of those very, very few examples where you get a concrete signal of what's happening in the American public in a way that you often don't. Often we talk about American presidential elections as America decides, the people choose, but actually all you do is focus on Trump and Biden. Here you're actually getting a sense of sentiment around the Supreme Court's repeal of Roe v. Wade, and you get a sense of how much force there is in women's rights and women's rights politics in the US, in Ohio, in a swing state, a year out from a US presidential election. So I think that Women's rights campaigners win big in Ohio is the story I'd lead with. I'd do cultural confidentiality at ITV and across the media. And I'd do, you know, cabinet ministers 
politically around ECHR. Say it. I think you'd spike it, right? Probably would. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that, thank you, Charles. Thank you, Jess. Most of all, thank you, Zelda. In fact, even more important than that, thank you for listening. And just a final note, a, a note of congratulations to Kimberly Winters, who it was reported this week has officially broken the record for the world's loudest burp, 107.3 decibels. Incredible. Tortoise. 